0: Mark, beginning at chapter 7, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother and any one who curses his father or mother must be put to death but you say that if a man says to his father or mother whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to god then you have no longer then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother thus you nullify the word of god by your tradition and you have ha- that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean.
1: Thank you, Ellie. Um, Keep your Bibles open. There's a, a lot of details in there and some unusual things, some things that would be unfamiliar to us. Um, and if you can follow along as we work our way through, then you'll be well served uh, this morning. Thank you. Uh, a number of years ago, pre, pre-kids, uh, Melinda and I were still living in Geelong and we decided that we would go on a holiday, make the most of being in the mainland where you can just drive everywhere, not have to fly. And so we decided that we would go all the way up to Brisbane uh, and we'd drive there in our little hatchback. Uh, a lot of driving for, for two Tasmanians. But we planned it out. Uh, Day one, we did Geelong through to Sydney. Uh, It was long, the most driving we'd ever done in a day, but, you know, bearable. It all went fairly smoothly, uh, fairly successfully. Day two was Sydney to Coffs Harbour. Uh, Again, another fairly long drive. Uh, But this day didn't go so well. Um, We'd been driving for about half an hour. We were still in the middle of Sydney, uh, and we commented to each other, there was a bit of a hum coming from the car somewhere somewhere in the front right hand corner. hadn't heard it before, um, but it didn't sound too serious and it really wasn't that loud. you know maybe the car's just warming up. It's you know done a lot of driving lately. it's tired. Maybe it's just a different road. Uh, let's not worry about it. Just turn up the music. Can't hear it. All good. As we kept driving, that hum became definitely a whine. It wasn't a hum any longer. Uh, And that whine became loud and I think, well, I don't know, like it wasn't a grind and it wasn't a bang, can't be that serious. Turn up the music, can't hear it, it's all good. Well, we turned up the music again uh, and then a few more kilometres down the road we turned up the music again and then again. And after about two hours of driving we realised the music couldn't go any louder uh, and we couldn't hear ourselves, we couldn't hear the music and we thought this is perhaps an issue And so we turned uh, off the road, we pulled into the first mechanic we could find and discovered that our front wheel bearing was completely shot uh, and we were only a few kilometres from it completely seizing Uh, and, you know, all the fun disaster that happens with that. It turns out, and this is a revelation, so just note this down, it turns out that you can't fix a car by turning up your music. I don't know if you realise that, maybe that is not a revelation for you, it was for us at the time, But what we find in our passage today in Mark chapter 7 is Jesus telling us stop turning up the music on your life. Stop turning up the music on your life. There is an issue you cannot ignore and you can't push it to the background. Uh, There is a problem that you won't be able to fix in yourself uh, and it could lead you, is likely to lead you to disaster. What's that problem? Well, the problem is the distance that exists between us and God and on top of that problem, our mistaken efforts to fix that. Well, the good news is Jesus is here to help us diagnose that issue, to help discern it in our lives. But what's more, he also points us to a solution to this terrible problem, a solution that is for all of us. And that's what we're going to find as we work our way through this chapter this morning. Uh, Once again we find Jesus encountering the religious leaders. It's Jesus versus the (laughs) religious leaders. It's not the first time. Uh, A few chapters back he's dealt with them quite decisively but they've come back for round two and here again they challenge him. Look at verses one and two. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed, uh, they've come all the way from Jerusalem, quite a distance, to nitpick with Jesus and they have found a nit to pick. His disciples have not washed their hands before dinner and they're unclean. <laughs> uh, like, maybe you've read this story before and you kind of skip over that but read it again. It's crazy, isn't it? Like They've travelled a couple of days to challenge Jesus. What do they get? You haven't washed your hands before dinner. Like, it's, it's nuts. Absolutely nuts. It's, it's bonkers. They're not children. What's going on here? Well, the issue is not hygiene. The issue is not visible dirt on their hands. The issue clearly at stake here is ceremonial or ritual cleanness, that is, and a person's acceptability to God. Uh, why is this an issue? Well, Mark fills us in by telling us what the Pharisees uh, do themselves. Look at verses 3 and 4. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. Uh, And if you've got your Bible, you might see a footnote down there that says, and also dining couches. Uh, It's not certain whether that was original, but it quite likely was. See, what they were doing was, any time they went out, any time they could have touched something that may potentially have been ritually unclean, they would wash themselves and everything associated with them. Now as we've been working our way through Mark, what you might have noticed and what you see as we read on is Jesus really respects the Old Testament law. Uh, we never see a hint of him breaking it, we see him keeping it again and again uh, and teaching it. Uh, he knew better than anyone else that the law was God's gift to people. He knew that it was good and he kept it perfectly. But his point is here, this is far, far beyond the law. N- nowhere are we told in any of the Old Testament laws to wash ceremonially before we eat, at all. You know, Let alone washing all your cups and pitchers and couches. Uh, it's just not there. If you go back to the law, uh, we don't have time to do it this morning, but if you go back there and look through all the cleanliness laws about eating and washing, you'll find that the only people who have to do that, who are commanded to do that, to wash before they eat, are the priests. And even then, only when they're serving in God's presence and when they're dealing with holy or offered food to God, that is the only situation, a really limited group of people in a really limited situation, they're the ones who have to wash And so what has been happening here over the the hundreds of years between uh, that law being given and now is that the Pharisees have built up over the years this tradition around washing. They've gone far beyond that basic law of avoid what's unclean and they've built all these restrictions around it to to try and keep that perfectly. And Mark and and Jesus' point here is it's ludicrous. It's become absolutely nuts. I mean, who's going to sit down and wash their couch Every time they want to have dinner, I'm assuming you don't do that. We certainly don't. It's unbelievable. It's absurd. And it's wrong as Jesus challenges them. Look at verses 5 through 8. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. You see, they, they thought they had him. They, they thought they could see his disciples breaking their laws. Therefore, Jesus being you know, the instigator of that, they thought they had him. But Jesus says, you guys are the ones in the wrong. You're the ones who've stumbled. In fact, he's far more scathing than that, isn't he? And he says, you're hypocrites. Your lips say you're honouring God, but look at your lives. Your lives show the opposite. You're not following God. All you're doing is following all the traditions that men have put on God's rules. And what's worse is you're treating their rules, your rules, as if it was God's. You say you're following God, but really all you're doing is following yourself. Your lips are going one direction, your hearts are going the other direction. They're so focused on the rules that they have invented that they have lost sight of the original rule maker, the true rule maker and the point of it all. Uh, it's like it's like a learner driver doing their P's test. At least it was like me when I did that. You know, you're so impressed intent in that moment on that test to, to keep all of the rules and not get any you know demerit marks against you and potentially fail, y- you're so focused on those rules you actually forget how to drive. Um, for me, I was so intent on um, giving way and using my mirrors correctly and indicating correctly as I pulled out of service TAS uh, that I stalled, um, which wasn't a good way to start my driver's test and might have been instrumental in me failing it. You you forget these rules, they actually get in the way and and prevent you from living. And that's what's happening here. These Pharisees, they're so focused on these rules that they're forgetting God who gave them the rules. They're forgetting that those laws were supposed to direct them to God and instead their life had become about those rules. Using those rules to make themselves feel good, using those rules to, to, to make them feel like they were in the right and like they were close to God. And what Jesus says is actually you're further from him than ever before. It says your system is flawed. Your rules, as rigorous as they are, they can't make you any closer to God. Lots of rules can't bring you close to God. And if you use rules, whatever they would be, whether they be washing rules like this or whatever sort of rules, if you use them to try and get to God, you're in danger of falling into the same trap, that your life will be all about those rules rather than God and the end result is you'll actually end up far further from him than before. Now probably you don't do it quite like the Pharisees did. Uh, I I don't know if you wash everything in your house before you have dinner. I'm pretty certain you wouldn't wash your couch before you ate or that you would think that God would like it if you did that. But there are other ways that we do the same thing, isn't there? We do other things with the same expectation. Do this or don't do this and maybe God will like that or maybe I'll feel closer to him or maybe I'll actually be closer to him. We have all our, our systems and our ways. I, I don't know what yours are, they, they, they range, don't they? Maybe if I'm a good person I'll be in God's good books. Uh, I won't swear. That will make God happy uh, or at least certain words. Uh, I'm not going to be selfish like, like other people. I'm going to be the controlled parent, the one that doesn't scream ever. Uh, I'm going to have a tidy house. I'm going to read my Bible for 15 minutes every day. I'm going to do my prayers, you know, twice a day maybe. I'm going to give money. I'm going to volunteer on the... whatever it is. I mean, let's be clear. They're not bad things in themselves. They're, They're even very good things. But in and of themselves, they are not able to bring you any closer to God. Keeping the rules, any of the rules... However strictly or rigorously you keep them, that's not a path to getting right with God. As we're going to see, the true path is better, but it's also harder. So how do we diagnose ourselves? How do we how do we test ourselves to see if we're going down this path, if we're trying to get to God simply by rules? Well, we need we need to test. We need to ask ourselves some hard questions. Uh, The Pharisees actually suggest one test to us. Um, We can know that we're relying on rules to get to God if we find ourselves comparing ourselves to others. I mean, it's it's how we we benchmark how we're going, isn't it? Uh, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm better than, or at least I didn't do like they did. So we don't benchmark against ourselves, it's too hard. But We benchmark against others. If you are frequently finding yourself looking at others, looking at what they do or looking at what they don't do and comparing yourself to them, there's a fair chance that you are thinking or acting as if what you do can make you right with God. Or maybe you need to ask yourself how you respond when something bad happens in your life. Um, you have a bad day, perhaps. You know, things go wrong, and you're frustrated, or, or there's something disastrous has happened, uh, and you think back and you think, well, maybe it's because I did this this morning. You know, I, I kicked the dog, or I yelled at the kids, or, or whatever. Or maybe it's because I didn't, you know, read my Bible or pray or. The flip side, you know, you do something bad or you do something, you forget to do something good and you find yourself expecting, well, the rest of the day is going to be a disaster because I did that. If you find yourself living and acting like this, it could well be because you think that the rules and doing certain things are the way to have a right life, the way to get on the right foot with God. Or maybe, maybe you need to think about how you react when someone corrects you. Uh, if someone put, points out a shortcoming in your life or a mistake that you've made, uh, how do you respond? How do you handle those things? Do, do you do it very thankfully? I appreciate you showing me that. I hadn't seen that myself. Uh, do you do it graciously? Or if someone points out a fault in your life, does that shatter you? Do you lash back? You know, who are you to say anything? You're not perfect either. Are you devastated by that? If so, it's quite likely that you are judging your worth and your acceptability to God as a person by what you do. And so any suggestion of failure, any suggestion of shortcoming is very difficult to take. Test your heart, diagnose where you are because at the end of the day none of these rules can get you any closer to God. None of them can bring you nearer to him and what will happen is instead your life will become a cycle of futility, it will become frustrating, it will be exhausting and in the end you'll actually be further from him. Maybe still honouring him with your lips but with a heart that's far away. It's a hard truth but it's one that we have to face up to. But Jesus doesn't give us anywhere to, to run or hide. He gives us another hard truth for us to wrestle with and that is not only is our solution an issue in itself but there's another problem that he points out and we see it in verse 9 through 13. Now, If you've got your Bible handy, look with, look with me at verse 9. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Uh, now, the, the situation is obviously unfamiliar to us. It sounds a bit strange, so Mark puts in some explanations here. Uh, if you know your Bible, you'll know uh, some of the laws that Jesus quoted. You know, you know honor your father and mother. You know that giving to God uh, is a good thing. And so we ask, well, what's the issue here? What's the problem at stake? And really the issue is kind of the same thing as the first uh, section. God's good law here, God's good intent behind his law is actually being twisted and it's being twisted selfishly. Uh, We see in the Old Testament that that God's people are commanded to give things to God. There's a whole number of sacrifices and offerings that people are to make. They bring animals or crops or money or whatever it would be uh, and bring it to God as thanks to him and a way to honour him and to, to serve and worship him. But what's happened over the years is this idea of korban has crept in. Now korban is simply a word that means dedicated to God and it it's wasn't really beyond that. But over the years it's taken on kind of this technical sense so that anything that's offered to God or given to God is called korban. And things that are korban are not to be used elsewhere because they're gods, they've been dedicated to God. So you say, well, what's the issue? Well, here's the scenario that Jesus paints. He says, say uh, you're in your 30s or your 40s and your parents are ageing, perhaps unwell. Well, it's your responsibility as a child to look after your parents, uh, to care for them. And that includes, uh, likely, the financial burden that would come for them. That's part of your responsibility. Clearly... That is a burden, isn't it? Perhaps not a a desirable burden. And so they were using this as a loophole, this idea of korban. And what could be said was, well, actually, mum and dad, all my wealth, uh, all my estate is korban. It's dedicated to God. What benefit of that is to you? Well, you don't have to pay that immediately. You might be able to say in your 30s, everything I've got, it's korban, which means when I die, it goes to the temple, uh, or it goes to God. But up until that point, it can't be used for anything else because it's korban, it's dedicated to God. Sorry, Mum and Dad, you can't have it, it's God's. I can use it because I'm taking care of it for God, but you can't have it. And all of this was happening with not only the approval but with the blessing even of these religious leaders. You were following the law. You were very pious. Everything you had is korban. How good are you? And Jesus says, how dare you? How dare you take God's law, created good, created for good, created to help, and twist it. How dare you make it about you and about advantage to you? You know, you say you keep the law, you say you honour God, but what are you really doing? All you're doing is looking after yourself. And that's the problem with our laws, that's the problem with our rules. At the end of the day we might claim they're all about honouring God, they're all about doing his will, but they actually become all about us. Uh, You might be aware if you're married that part of being married is uh, sharing responsibilities around the house. uh, And that includes sharing responsibility for for cleaning and tidying, as unpleasant as that is, uh, it's a thing we do together. Now, just just imagine this scenario. Imagine the end of a week. It's been a long week. It's Friday afternoon. Uh, We're exhausted. The kids are finally in bed, and the house is a disaster zone. You know, there's stuff everywhere, there is mess. it's not really even livable. Something has to be done. And so there's hundreds of jobs uh, on the list. Now imagine if I say to Melinda, how much tidying up would you like me to do? That's a nice question, isn't it? On the surface, that's a nice question. I'm, I'm offering help. Uh, I'm, I'm offering to do jobs. Uh, that's a good thing, isn't it? That, that's very generous of me, even laudable. How much tidying up do you want me to do? But that's not really what I'm asking, is it? There's a, there's a question behind that question, isn't there? What I'm really asking is, what's the bare minimum that I can get away with doing? What's the least tidying up that will make you not crabby at me and make me feel like I've actually helped? And do you see what's actually happening there? Do you see? I, I'm not actually doing it for her sake, I'm not even doing it for our family's sake. Uh I'm asking that question for my sake, aren't I? What is the least I can do of this unpleasant job and get away with it? It's all about me, isn't it? It's all about advantaging me. And that's how the Pharisees are teaching the law here. What's the least I can do? You know, look at me, I'm pleasing God, I'm being very pious. And Jesus cuts right through it. He says, Who's it really about? Who are you really pleasing? That's the problem with our rules, isn't it? They sound like they're about God. They sound very pious. Look at me. Look at the rules I set around my life. Look at what I'm doing. But they're really about us. What is the bare minimum I can do to be right with God? What's the least unpleasant, the least restrictive, the least religious thing I can do to feel good and get in God's good books and enjoy the rest of my life? Do I just give 10%? Ah, you know, that that is hard. But at least I can spend the rest on myself. Do I just go to church on Sundays? Well, I mean, it, it is inconvenient. There's often really nice weather on Sunday mornings. But at least I've got the rest of the week. Five minutes in my Bible? You know, it's frustrating and hard to remember, but it's over quickly. What a way to treat God! No, I'm not going to deny, you know, a lot of our, our rules and restrictions we set for ourselves, a lot of them start with really good intentions. You know, they start with a really good desire. But here's what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things. And so we need to test ourselves. We need to be aware of ourselves, what's, what's driving us, our motives, our attitudes behind serving and, and living for God. Uh, am I really doing this, genuinely doing this because I love God and I, I want to honour him? Or is it because I think by this I can make him happy and pleased with me and earn his favour? Am I really desiring to serve him or am I really just looking for, you know, what's the bare minimum that I can scrape by on in order to maximise me time? Our hearts are deceitful. So ask yourself the hard questions. Maybe have someone you trust ask you the hard questions and be willing to hear what they say. But let's not fool ourselves. When we make these rules, we're actually serving ourselves not God. So how do we find our way out of this maze of our own making? Well, Jesus points us to the turnaround that we need. And we find it there in verse 14 and 15. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Uh, Jesus' message is pretty simple, isn't it? It, it? It's not the externals that matter. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside, um, which is se- fairly self-evident to us. It's even a you know kind of a slogan of our time. It's not what's on the outside. It's on, it's on the inside. You know, it's, I swear there's a Disney movie about that, or maybe a dozen. It's what's on the inside. And Jesus says, yes, it is what's on the inside that matters. But That's not good news. Look at verse 17 through 20. Uh, To 23, sorry. After he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It is what's on the inside that matters, but what's on the inside is not good. All your wrong thinking, all your wrong speaking, all your wrong doing. All of that doesn't come from the world around you. It comes from inside you. It comes from your heart. The, the reason you feel like you need rules to govern your life, the, realize, uh, the reason you feel apart from God and a need to get close to Him, all of that actually is from you. You're the problem. The, the heart of your problem is your heart. That's the issue. And so it's an issue we can't actually fight with rules. You can't change your inside by working on your outside. You, you can try. You can live the most regimented life. You can cut yourself off from all corrupting sources. And what will you find? You'll find that you're still far from God because you carry your problem with you. That's why the rules cannot possibly fix you. You can work and work on your outsides, but you can't change, you can't clean your own heart. I mean, we know this, don't we? I know if my car doesn't start tomorrow morning, I can wash it. It's not going to make it go. I can repaint it, I can tint the windows, I can black the wheels, and it's going to look great, but it's not going to drive anywhere. Why are you so corrupt? Why are your best efforts tainted and twisted? Why do you keep on failing? Why do you need so many rules? It's because your heart is broken. Your heart is not working right and all your best efforts are being sabotaged by yourself. You cannot carry yourself to God. You cannot make yourself worthy of earning his favour. You cannot do enough to get close to him and live. Because you carry that fatal flaw within you. So what hope is there for you? Well, Jesus doesn't actually say in this passage. I don't know if you noticed that. He doesn't actually tell us. It's, it's a little bit scary, isn't it? it, it it's scary until you realise he's been saying it all along. If you go back to his first words in Mark, right back in chapter 1, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. That's the message Jesus has been preaching throughout Mark, and it's the message needed here. Did you hear what he's saying? The kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. He's saying God's actually come close. It's not about you, you know, carrying yourself by your bootstraps to him. He's actually come to you. As corrupt and as sinful as you are, he's come close. He hasn't shunned you, he's come near and he's done it in Jesus. And how do you receive him? Not by cleaning yourself up, not by making yourself look good. It's grotesque, it's useless. How do you do it? By repenting by believing. Not by covering your failings with a a veneer of rule keeping, but by admitting that you're broken, that you're sinful, that you're failed and that you can't fix it. And the good news? God accepts. And God acts. Uh, I think one of the most beautiful promises in the Old Testament is, is one that we found filled, filled in Jesus and, and, and needed here. Um, it's from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And God says, I will give you a new heart. Not a new way that you have to try and walk. Um, not a new law that you have to try and keep and, and ever fail in. God says, I will give you a new heart a clean heart, a different heart. I'll give you a heart that pleases me. I'll give you a heart that knows me. Uh, If you read on in Ezekiel 36, he says, I'll give you a heart in which I live, a heart where my spirit lives, so that you'll never have to worry again about whether you're close or distant from me because I'll be in you, always with you, never far from you. I will give you a new heart. That is grace. And that is offered to you. God is just. All all your wrong and all your corruption, it will be punished. But God is grace. Because all that punishment falls on Jesus. And God is good. Because he gives you that new heart that you need to live and to live near him forever. So be freed from your futile efforts. Be freed from your cycle of attempt and failure and despair and attempt again. Repent, accept his grace and live knowing that Jesus has forgiven you. God has accepted you and his spirit is close to you. to truly live. Not earning his favour but having his favour forever.